everyone to a special episode of the ICEF podcast that has been recorded live at ICEF Berlin 2021. In this special edition, our host Martijn van der Veen talks with event delegates in three different sections about their impressions of an industry that is reunited again and collects feedback on some of the main conversations that have been taking place on the event floor. Thanks, Lucinda, for our first section in this special episode of the ISEF podcast, live from ISEF Berlin 2021. I have with me Oscar Porras, president of ACEPROSE, Blume Bergman from the Global School for Entrepreneurship in Amsterdam, and Meti Basiri from ApplyBoard. And together we will look back at yesterday's session about agent aggregators. Oscar and Meti, you are both a panelist in yesterday's panel discussion, or should I call it a feisty debate about the rise of agent <laughs> aggregators. And Blume, you were in the audience and had some interesting remarks and questions. So before we look back, can you give me a brief introduction of yourself, please? Oscar, may I start with you? Well, uh, my name is Oscar and I am the president of ASEPROCE, which is the National Association of Agencies. Uh, we are 62 members in the association and we represent more or less like 65% of the market in Spain. And well, we are similar to other national associations, but with some differences because we have a quality seal for our members, so they all have to go through an inspection every year to guarantee that the, that the agencies belonging to us they are good quality. So I represent them in events like this and the day-to-day of the association. And I'm sure you're glad we're uh, meeting face-to-face yes. again after all the Zoom calls. Yeah. Matty, can I switch to you? Thank you so much for having me here today. I'm one of the co-founders at ApplyBoard. ApplyBoard started about six and a half years ago as a, as a platform that connects the students, recruitment partners, and our partner schools together. And it's been an amazing ride in the past six and a half years from being in the position that no one even accepted from both the schools and recruitment partner from now sitting here and a lot of people talking about companies like ApplyBoard and others to see how we can support the students at the end. That's like what we're all here at the end. So Great. And as I can see, you recovered from yesterday's uh, debate, yeah. which is great. <laughs> Blume, um, my name is Blume Bergman. I work at Global School for Entrepreneurship. Uh, we're a small higher education institution in Amsterdam, the Netherlands teaching entrepreneurship and innovation, which is one of the reasons why we're so supportive of these innovations in higher education and recruitment. Very well, thank you, Blume, Meti and Oscar. Allow me to kick off this uh, section. As we all know, EdTech venture capitalists and strategic investors have been pouring millions into agent aggregators or platforms, as Meti calls them, and their rise has only accelerated during the pandemic. The aggregators provide educators with access to countless agents across various countries and time zones, making it easy for schools and institutions to reach as many prospective students in as many countries as possible. That's a whole mouthful, but in yesterday's panel, we discussed how aggregators, for lack of a better word, affect the international student recruitment industry, positive or negative, and whether agent aggregators represent a win-win-win for educators, agents and students, or is that too good to be true? Oscar, can you provide our audience with some impressions of that debate? And do you feel that there is enough understanding, or should I say misunderstanding, in our industry about what agent aggregators are, what they do, and what that means for them? Well, Martin, I think that the debate yesterday was great, and I think that we could see different point of view, uh, point of views um, uh, about this aggregator uh, subject. Before this uh, panel discussion yesterday, I, I didn't know this term, and when I finished the the the, the, 
the panel discussion, one of the schools that they were attending to the, to the panel discussion came to me and said, I was very happy that Martin was explaining what was aggregators because we didn't know this term before. Could you, could you then uh, explain to the audience what is your impression of what an aggregator is? What have you learned? Yes, well, I would say that aggregators, they are platforms. They help both the schools and students to get in touch and sometimes, depending on the platform, also agents, providing them more schools uh, to access. And I think that was one of the points of the debate because I think that and we could see that yesterday that most of the people attending to the panel, we all agreed that if these uh, platforms, they are helping agents to find more schools and more educators and give more training, that is good. But the problem is when that is interfering with the selling process of the agencies. And I was explaining yesterday that, for example, in the case of Spain, and I know that this is different in other countries, but in the case of Spain, the agents, they have a lot of training. And for example, in Asaprote, we provide a lot of training for the agents. So in our case, we need very close contact with the students and their families because they want to come to us. They are not really confident uh, when they go to internet and they scroll down and they see a web page with a hundred of different possibilities. And they really want to have someone local to go and complain in the case that something happens. When we, we treat a lot with minors, and especially this is a very delicate subject because normally parents and families they want to know that the person they are dealing with has like a lot of training and is someone really dedicated to this. So I'm not against segregators but I think that the ideal scenario for me would be that they have a limit and that they provide certain services to the agencies but that they never get in touch with the students and that they provide services to the agencies but not increasing the price of, of the programs because that's another fear that we have. Thank you, Oscar. In the debate, the question was asked, aggregators, are they a win-win-win, right? For educators, agents, and students. I think they are not a win-win for, for agents. For schools, probably it is good because they are reaching more agents, but in the case of the agencies, unless you are a small agency and you cannot come to events like this, to ISEF, or, or you cannot travel and visit yourself the schools. But I think that in that case, maybe it is positive, but in, that we've been fighting very hard, like agencies for many years. I was saying to one of your colleagues that I think uh, I started when I'm 39 now, and I started my agency when I was 21. So I've been coming to workshops for 18 years and I've been meeting so many people during these years. So for us, this is like out of the blue, I won't say destroying because it sounds too hard, <laughs> but really like jumping over us. And that is something that I think we should try to avoid as much as we can. No? Uh, I think that, as I said, it's good for small agencies, but we need to really limit what they do, these aggregators. Right, well, you mentioned Fighting. We're almost fighting yesterday, Mitty. You are obviously a great marketeer. I'm listening to you. Applyboard seems to represent a value add for all stakeholders in the student recruitment industry. Yet the feedback from the audience wasn't always that welcoming or positive. How do you feel about that? Like, here's the thing. I, I truly don't think that still people understand what any of this platform does. Um, let's just step back and I actually say, tried to say yesterday, say this number couldn't get that, needed to make sure I have my shield up. But 39% of students in the global only have access to higher education. In the United States, 88%. In Europe, about 67%. In India, it's 29%. So we can sit here and debate that whether agents could solve this problem or not. 
I don't think so. I think in a small agency, majority of the small agency will never be able to invest millions of dollars building the platform, supporting the ecosystem in order to solve. And it's not a small problem. Imagine if five of us were sitting in this room, two kids, two only two of our kids would have been able to go higher education. That's a huge problem. It is extremely. So I think if you step back and think of it as that magnitude of the global problem, then you can step in and say, no, we need the innovative companies. We need those innovation to take us to the next step. And one thing that I can say, it's anticipating a number of international students going abroad. It's going to just continue increasing. That means we need to continue increasing the number of agents, which we call a recruitment partner on the ground. So Oscar, as example, has a great 20 years experience in this, right? He was passionate about helping his students. What about next 20 years? Are we going to sit here and not talk about hundreds, thousands of more agencies to be created? Who's going to support them? Who's going to help them? University or colleges, they have two or three people to support agents. Maximum can work with 100, 150. But we're not talking. If we truly sitting here and put the best interest of the students at heart, then we want any students walk to your uh, office, Oscar, says, I want to go to Canada. I want to study at Algoma University. What's the best for university to do to, for that a student? For you, it's like, sounds good, I'll send you to Algoma. But can you send the student to Algoma today? No, because you have to tell the student, give me six months, let me go to Algoma, let me see if I can get it. You might send one student to Algoma in a whole year, maybe five years. But what you just did say, Algoma is not good, and you know it, a lot of agents does that, because they're a small business. Algoma is not good, let me send you to excess schools because I have the contract. So if you're really sitting here and thinking of that, no one is replacing agents. We're actually enabling agents. And I shared this study yesterday, 40% year by year, our agents growing. Actually, our best performing agents are the agents that have started a scratch with apply board. Scratch. Now there are some of them have 50 people in their offices and they're solely relying on apply board growth. And that's something I think like in maybe in Spain, you can name 20 people that have been in this industry 20 years. But we all gonna retire and there is next generation of people's coming and I think we need to look at it that lens. But I don't think we're sitting here and debating whether agents are gonna go away or not. I truly believe we went B2C, not many people know that. In 2016 we pivoted to a B2B platform. Why we thought we can support agents more to grow more. And that's what we did, and that's why we were the very first platform that did that. Before apply where there was no other platform. But now, thankfully, we see an amazing number of other platforms that makes it better. But again, we're talking about millions of life. We're not talking about uh, 500 students, as example, from Spain or from Russia or X. We're talking about millions of life. Those are some interesting statistics. Actually, we're four around the table, not five, but I trust you on all the other data <laughs> that you share with us. I feel that there's a lot of misunderstanding from, I guess I could even call it fear among a lot of agencies. What does this all mean for all the hard work of all these people that they have invested for so many years helping students study abroad? Many of them have studied abroad themselves, including you, uh, Mitty. Uh, Bluma, Bluma, you had a, an interesting observation from the school side about the role of aggregators. And, and mm -hmm. can you maybe take away some of that fear that agents have about their role in this, uh, in this industry? I think it is very unlikely that institutions or that most institutions will stop working with agents directly. I don't see myself ever doing that because part of the joy of my role as well is the, is the 
the contact with the agents directly. And with the larger agents, that is what I do um, and that is what I will continue doing. What I think this is great for is for the small agents. So we're a very small school. I'm a recruitment team of one. I can't work with 500 agents. If you're in a big university and you have 20 people on recruitment, yes, of course, you could work with lots of agents all over the planet. I simply can't. But that doesn't mean that I want to say no to a student from an agency in Inner Mongolia. Because if that student is perfect for our program, then I want to take that student. But if I then have to set up an agreement for one student and then never hear from them again, that's a lot of wasted time. So if that agent is connected to one of the aggregators that I'm connected to, it means he can just send me the student. It means that he's vetted. The other side that I think is great as well is that I don't tend to sign up agents who are not already active in my country because there's a whole host of things that I, I will have to teach them. And I simply don't have the time to do that for every small agency that reaches out. But when they're working with these platforms, it means that they can do the vetting for me and they do. I also know that if I found that they don't, I will stop working with them. So that is you know, something that, that we can be very clear about. It means that an agency who is just starting out, I would never sign an agent who has not sent a single student abroad because there is way too much risk for us as an institution. So many things can go wrong. But if they work with Apply Board or Adventus or one of the others, they can do that training, they can do the vetting and they can make sure that everything is fine. And that means that, hey, I can now receive students from agents who've literally just started out. And as Mehdi was saying, the, the boom in international education, it's just going to get bigger, whether it be on campus or hybrid or online, this is going to keep growing and we're going to need more agents and nobody wants to be the guinea pig. I can tell you that for, for all the institutions I've worked for and I'm number 10 now, I think, yeah, I've been doing yeah, this a while. Yeah. We don't want to be guinea pigs and this takes away the whole guinea pig situation from the board. Thanks, Bloomer. Oscar, I can, see, I can see you have something to say about this. Yeah, I think that we all agree that probably aggregators or, or, or whatever you want to call them, <laughs> yeah, you want yeah, to call yeah, them aggregators. Platforms. <laughs> platforms. Yeah. I think that we all agree that maybe this is a great tool for small agencies, for small schools, but I don't know if this is happening in other countries, but it is happening in, in Spain. And is that every time more and more agencies, they, they focus on a country or they focus on certain programs. So like, for example, we have agencies in Spain that they focus on high school programs in Canada. So they don't need to work with a hundred schools because they already work with several school districts and they send them students. But I think that it is good for certain agencies, small agencies, they need this business and they take any business. And this is a good way for them to access different schools. I'm thinking now about a couple of agencies that they only do, for example, as I said, high school program in the United States and they send J1 and F1 students. They don't really need a platform like this because they already work with partners that they know very well, two or three partners in the United States. They're going to say something against this. I just cannot hear it, but then, like you I said, said, there's a lot of energy coming from yeah, you. You're the opposite of me. Go ahead, uh, actually, Oscar, I have a question for you and then I give you three stats. Have you had this case scenarios that, let's say you had a student for a school and you didn't have contract and you message one of your colleagues, say, can I use your contract? Sometimes, but very little. I think that there is, a, at least in Spain, and I know this happens in Italy with the ALCA because we have a lot of connections with the ALCA and also with the French Association, that we really cooperate between us in, in our countries. I know that in some other countries there is a lot of competition, but for example in Spain we cooperate a lot. The reason I asked that, you were doing this. 
You said a little bit, but you were doing that for 20 years. Mm-hmm. But you were just doing it manual. You were had a friend that the friend that the friend has mm-hmm. that. You were working as a very small business. So from the institution's point of view, I know that in some countries there are a lot of agents that want to work with us. India, for instance. There are thousands of agents in India and I cannot work with all of them. So I tell them... That's why you're here, right? Exactly. Well, I I can't work with all of them. I have to pick out the good ones. And I can't vet them all. So I say no. No, no, no. Exactly. ISIF vets them for me. So if I meet them at ISIF, that's one thing. But if they just send me an email, I say no. So they work as sub-agents. We pay the commission to the main agent and then the sub-agents get 10% of that commission. So these main agents now make 90% of the fee for doing basically nothing yeah for taking the application and sending it to me i don't think that's fair mm-hmm. whereas if i'm working with an aggregator with a ply board or with adventus i know that my commission goes to the agent yeah. and i don't have to worry about most of the money going to some person who receives an email forwarded it to me and then went oh well that's great that's thousands of euro thank you yeah something to the add-on because i think there is a perception that Small agents only can use a platform such as Apply Board. Actually, I'm going to give you a fun fact. There is U15. It's like a Russell Group or Group 8. In Canada, U15. Two of those U15 were the only one in the planet that has contract with them. So U15, we're not talking about a small group. We're talking about one of the best universities. And we're the only one. And there is a reason for it. At that bigger university, they never can satisfy their internal schools that we can go work with someone sitting in India, as example, or this to work. But they can't satisfy that, hey, there is this Canadian company that follows all the privacies, the GDPR approved, the XYZ. Are you GDPR approved? No. Is the Indian yeah. agent sitting in India? No. no. Okay. So when you're really thinking about it now, we're giving them the confidence that we do the work. It's not even about just the vetting. The other thing is, yesterday I was or didn't want it to sound a rule. Every single agent in India, excluding two people at the big one that I'm talking about, the top 25, are working with that platform. Why? Because one thing that we do is increasing the time, total addressable market. We gonna we work with the school, created a program that we just put 3,000 enrolled students this year. Why? It was actually the program that cost 8,000 lower because we told the schools this is a demand. They brought the two years master program for $32,000. We put 3,000 students plus in this program. That didn't even exist. So when the big agents think like, why should we have? I'm not even get to the platform on the product, why they should do it. They become more efficient. They can focus on marketing and counseling their students because that's so hard to automate. I'm not gonna even get to that, but I'm saying one of the biggest job that we're doing and is no one seen it is actually creating and increasing the time. You should, if tomorrow, we can come and help the Spain, as example, the agents in Spain, to send more students higher ed. You never had a higher ed. Mm-hmm. So now it's a new market that you mean you're going to grow. When I'm saying our agents, our recruitment partners growing 40%, is not that they're relying on a power product because now they can do more business. If from tomorrow you can send the students to Canada, let's say high school is English, I assume you do, but let's say you don't do it. That's increasing revenue in your pocket. Mm-hmm. It's already uh, through our time almost. It's of course interesting to not only look back at yesterday's uh, discussion, but actually to continue it here as I, as I noticed, which is great. Um, for the audience, the panel discussion yesterday has been recorded. And uh, please email us at 
podcast at isaf.com should you like to have a look at it. I'd like to go for a final round for a question for the three of you. It might be a difficult one, but I'll start with you, Bloomer. How do you think aggregators are affecting the role of agencies? I think aggregators can really help agents to find new avenues, to, to break into new markets, to really increase their business. And most importantly, hopefully to all of us, surely to all of us, find the best place for the student to go to, no matter whether they have a direct agreement with them or not, and to eliminate the thousands of students who end up at the wrong institution, in the wrong degree, in the wrong country, any or all of the above, because the agent didn't have the right contract with the right institution at the right time. Right, so it means the institution should work with the right agencies and therefore come to ISAP, I guess. Oscar, <laughs> um, how do aggregators affect the role of agencies, good or bad, in your opinion? As I said before, I think that basically they can't really help agents in some cases. I don't see the point in some other cases. I think that obviously there will be agencies that they will really benefit of aggregators and will be able to access, as, as he was saying before, to institutions that they couldn't do that themselves. But in some other cases, and especially aggregators, they want to be B2C. I think that they are really interfering in a market that is really competitive and that in some countries like Southern Europe, they want really a personal touch given by an agency. So. I agree yeah. that that can be helping, but it can be also damaging this sector a little bit. Last but not least, as they always say, Matty. <laughs> I think where any platform, any technology is just continue to supporting people, make their life better. It has happened in health, it has happened in any technology. Unfortunately, international education industry has been so behind. We've just seen some traction in the last five years. I see nothing. It's going to have its own challenges. It's going to have its own upside and downside. But I don't see anything except supporting, helping more recruitment partner, helping the current international students to be an agent, which we're not talking about it. And I think just it's going to at the end just be benefiting what my colleague said here, benefiting the students at the end. And I think that's what we all can agree on, that at the end, we're not winning if the students get to the right program, right school, wrong city or wrong country. Indeed, there's a lot of agencies that are not looking at the student but at the incentive. And that's where organizations need to make that difference. And that's, of course, in my case, ISAP that makes that difference and verifies that the agencies are reliable. I actually really believe that it's extremely important to uh, have a relationship with the purpose mm -hmm. that you work with because the person that you work with gives you an impression of that organization, of their ethics, of the way that they work with people, or how much they really care about the student. The relationship building is really important. Probably a topic for another yeah. discussion. Yes. Clearly it's a topic that triggers a lot of discussion, debate, conversations, and we as ISAF will continue to provide the platform for that uh, discussion and conversation. Thank you very much, Meti, Oscar, and Bloomer for your contribution, and have a great event. You've got another uh, day and a half uh, in person to go and another virtual day, so uh, good luck with that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Martin. From the agency aggregator discussion, we now move to section two of this special episode, where two ISEF Berlin delegates explain how the pandemic has made them change their portfolio and their way of working. 
In this second section, we're taking a look at how the industry has changed. There have been many discussions on this topic, but now that the industry is meeting in person once again, maybe this is a good moment for a little reality check. What has really changed of all the initiatives and solutions that have helped us get through the pandemic? What is here to stay and what not? With me for this section are Oana Lenku from SRH, University of Applied Science, and Andries Bonner from Stage Global. And I'll give them the opportunity to provide a short introduction before we dive into this discussion. Oana, may I start with you? Sure. I'm currently Director of International Equipment Marketing and um, Admissions for SRI Berlin, as you just mentioned before. I've been working in international equipment for about, I think, 10 years now, out of which the past six, seven years in student recruitment um, towards Germany. So I really specialized in internationalization of private universities in Germany and Europe. Thank you very much, and Andries. My name is Andries Bonner, uh, owner of Stage Global. Uh, we recruit students and young professionals from all over the world. My company is located in Amsterdam and in New York City. We mainly focus on internships, traineeships all around the world. Big market in the US, Europe, Asia. Uh, we're expanding. The main work we do from, from Amsterdam, but everything is online and all around the world. Great. Well, thank you. It must have been extra hard for your industry because I guess that students could at least learn something online, whereas doing an internship online is a bit more difficult. However, Andres, yesterday we, we had a brief chat about uh, virtual internships, for example. Are they here to stay? Do you think that virtual internships play a role, a continued role, no. in international student recruitment? Well, I guess the broader scheme, yes, potentially. Uh, but when I look at my own business... We provide internships in a combination with a cultural component, like going abroad, having that experience to go to New York City or to Sydney. So for, for my business particularly, I don't see that becoming a part of what we offer, mainly because of the cultural component in there. Uh, potentially, yes, but uh, yeah, for me, not so much. Yet. Right, so it's not a component for your existing client base, but would it be an opportunity for you to maybe reach more potential clients, uh, youth and students yeah. that are looking for an internship but are unable to travel, or is that not something you'd be interested in? I can see that there's a market for them. Yeah, definitely a new one. So what we did definitely in March 2020, and we had a huge group of people just started abroad or were about to go abroad, and no longer able to travel to the States or to many other countries around the globe. And we switched some of them to a virtual internship. Companies were open for that, students were open for that as well. Some of them were successful. It was a bit of a mixed thing because obviously they were expecting to have that time abroad, which they didn't. In general, I think there is definitely a big learning opportunity for people who can still do virtual internship, let's say, with a company in New York City without having to leave their country and maybe in some countries where it's difficult to travel there or from financial point of view as well. Yeah, great. I mean, more choice, more opportunity for yeah. more potential students to find an internship that matches their, uh, their ambitions. And the learning curve, we had that learning curve as an industry, learning how to sell or maybe introduce online alternatives for the offline uh, programs that we provided. How's that for you, Anna, at SRH, University of Applied Sciences? I'm, I'm sure that you had to shift to online learning. We've had many, many discussions on the topic of 
how difficult that was and how we all scrambled somehow together to make it happen. How does it look now that uh, borders are reopening, students can come back, what are you going to do in terms of online delivery? I think that's one thing that we, um, and I'm generally a positive person that always tries to look at the um, full side of the glass and what we gained. Um, I actually motivated my team all through Corona, like, hey guys, let's make the most out of Corona. Um, simply because, I mean, Germany is a relatively traditional and very disciplined country, let's say, where a lot of systems were in place and it was quite difficult to bring uh, agility into it. And all of a sudden, Corona came and exploded all these bottlenecks that, yeah. that were preventing agility to uh, penetrate um, yeah. traditional um, industries like the higher education industry, so academic world in Germany is generally, I would say, not super flexible area. And while well, the positive, if I may say so, effect of Corona was to actually all of a sudden force the industry to become much more flexible and, and force universities who were before 100% on campus to envisage, but like really envision um, overnight the possibility to actually teach online or um, face um, the fact of losing all the students, which was obviously not really an option, especially for a private university that funds itself via uh, tuition fees. Yeah, yeah. So the hybrid system that we put in place um, thanks to Corona, we have kept it for at least this semester to basically allow students um, to arrive um, anytime and that replaced, and I find that's a very good development, that replaced the late arrival. Normally you would have a late arrival of one month and after that uh, too bad for the students who got the visa um, a bit too late, well, they would yeah. have to apply again. It'll be too late in Germany. Uh, it'll be too late in Germany, <laughs> or they would have to apply yeah. again for the yeah. visa. And that was not uh, a good thing for anyone. Whilst now we know that they can actually mm. study maybe not all the programs, but many of the programs can be taught in a hybrid format for a bit of a longer period of time. And I think this is really a development um, that I would definitely like to keep. Uh, because it brings agility um, into the, the teaching and uh, as Andre was saying, you have two target groups. You have the, I would say, the target group from before who would be interested in traveling abroad, who would have a certain financial capacity and then you have new target groups. I would say it's not replacing the first target group but it's an extension of the potential customers and yeah. um, it's a bit yeah. the same with our education model that it allows you to, to reach uh, markets or students who can't travel as quickly, where the visa is taking much longer, and that um, it gives you a bit um, a longer lapse of time to manage to enroll them comfortably, I would say, Wonderful. without the stress. Yeah. And um, I find that's a really good development. I think we can definitely call that the, the silver lining. And it's yeah. this uh, hybrid model now allowing you to introduce opportunities to study at SRH to international students that maybe have a lower budget, that they can do part of the study online and then maybe come for an, uh, the final year or is that, um, is that I would say we, we're not as flexible mm -hmm. I know that there are there are providers in Germany for higher education programs who are offering um, this sort of blended study model with half online half on campus uh, what we set up because we wanted to still keep the interaction between mm -hmm. the students the hybrid model basically integrates the online students into the existing class that does face-to-face -face education so ideally we'd like to keep it as short as possible, so not, not do it over a year, but if maximum one semester, just to, to allow the students to arrive, but then integrate them for all the lab work. Applied sciences also means that is applied education yeah. with a lot of industry-related workshops or, or labs and projects, also company visits and so on. And that's really not that easy to, to organize yeah. virtually. Yeah. And for me, I mean, this virtual internship concept is actually new. I've only heard about it yesterday. 
And I find it's a really, really great idea yeah. uh, for students who otherwise would actually not be able to um, have this experience with a big brand, for example, for their CV, for their professional development. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, you see definitely there's a change in opportunities that exist mm -hmm. and propositions from program providers, whether that's educational programs or experiential mm -hmm. learning programs, I guess we can call them that. Andries, um, and Andoane, you've both been here now for a few days. You've had your first business meetings, the first meetings in person. Uh, do you feel these meetings, uh, content of these meetings, uh, have changed the demands from the potential partners that you're talking to compared to two years ago? Like, um, well, from from my angle, I'm seeing that with a lot of the companies and the partners here, that we're really in a restarting type of mode in that way. So, uh, the world really came to a standstill a year and a half ago for both our customers. We were not able to travel abroad anymore, as well as with our partners abroad. I'm really getting a very good vibe of everyone who's there to make things work again and to, to start everything up again. I think from, from my angle, if I look at the, the people, the students and young professionals that we, that we recruit, they had that standstill as well a year and a half ago and they really had the opportunity to think about like, hey, what, what am I going to do with, well, my life sounds really big, but in a, in a way oh. that happened, right? Yeah. And I heard like also a lot of people decided like, hey, I'm going to go back to study again. Like I'm going to start, start a study, whether it's a course or full-time study. And the same with our programs as well. We saw a huge increase in applications over the last year, for sure. So, yeah, it's all very, very positive. Like here at the conference and also looking at the participants and, and people that apply for the programs, everybody's ready. And, and we have to watch out a little bit, obviously, in this still unstable kind of world. But, um, yeah. Yeah, and everybody is definitely ready. And it's uh, there's a lot of talk about penned up demand for international education. There is a next generation of students that is eager to start studying abroad. There are forecasts of a fourth wave of student mobility, many more millions of international students from many more origin countries. Do you already see that in the meetings that you have, that, that increasing demand, or is that something that you see is coming at the horizon but is not yet happening? Um, from the meetings that I've had, it looks like demand is really picking up. And I think what the pandemic brought is more intensive use of online tools and also um, online virtual meeting spaces. Like instead of now having to travel everywhere, let's say for seminars, which would have been almost the only possible interaction with the students before because they weren't really open to webinars before the pandemic. Yeah, now, yeah. I would say everybody's is tired of it, mm. but also used to it. So yeah. you can, I think that's another development that is here to stay, that you can actually more successfully and more efficiently yeah. um, recruit students or at least create demand, generate demand with an online tool in the first step that you can convert with maybe an in-presence meeting later on. And this I find it's really, um, it's really good for my um, international equipment team, for example, because it allows us to maximize and optimize our efforts. I really had a quite diverse list of meetings so far because I'm building up the international uh, recruitment for SRH and most of them were really excited. First of the meetings in person yep. and yep. second yep. Um, about the interest of the students and the, the number of demands um, that they're having for study abroad. Yeah, you just mentioned most people are tired of Zoom meetings and we heard here that a lot and I mm -hmm. even I, I also said it. At the same time, these Zoom meetings have allowed us to have many more meetings in a shorter time frame with many potential partners or existing partners from many countries around the world. Isn't it just because we haven't been able to travel that that got us not so much tired of the online meetings, but longing for at least have the ability to meet in person and having on top of that, a, a, let's say a healthy balance of uh, in-person meetings and online meetings? 
I entirely agree. Um, I did a couple of the online ISAFs and in my, uh, at the time, circumstances being extremely busy, I was actually happy to do them online because it was extremely time efficient. It was also very good. Everybody was prepared. Everybody was on time. That is the balance that was mm. missing, not the uh, Zoom itself or the meetings because those meetings are actually very productive and when you don't have a lot of time, that's actually the best thing you can do. Yeah. But it's the traveling missing entirely um, that was creating additional weight. Yeah, online tools and, and, and digital solutions have been really helpful. Now, Andres, in your area, as I mentioned, it's probably a lot more challenging and I'm sure you have been using online tools, digital tools. Do you have any examples of some of those tools or, or, or alternative products that you have been using that you are now very happy to throw in the bin? Well, my company has been around for a bit over 10 years and when I started it, I was still a student actually and I, I created it kind of in a digital way already 10 years Very ago. modern. And that was not with the purpose of being prepared for a global pandemic, but I did notice when the pandemic hit, we didn't really have to change much in, in my organization. So we, every, and my team in Amsterdam, they were able to bring their laptops home and continue to work as normal, basically, yeah. and to adjust a lot, but like... But you could already work from a distance yeah. and have your meetings online. If I would say, like, we work with a lot of partners, with a lot of um, host companies all around the world. Uh, I would definitely say that I've seen them develop to a more online type of environment, and that's super efficient now. So the Zoom meetings and the, and the interviews yeah. that uh, two years ago we already had with students all around the world, online obviously, yeah. I mean, you couldn't attend that in, in person. No. However, for companies it was sometimes a bit of a challenge to like make sure everything worked and in the conference room and everything. And right now that's super smooth, like every interview takes place, there's a Zoom link, people log in and they yeah. know what to do. So that definitely... Uh, yeah, can I just bring it uh, back to your product portfolio? Because yeah. I do agree, right? We, we uh, especially also in the Netherlands, very modern, good internet connection, really very advanced in, in working from a distance. But in your sector, the yeah. product, the internships overseas, what kind of alternatives have you had to use during the pandemic that you are now happy to say, okay, I'm going to go back, back fully to my initial proposition and I'm not going to sell that anymore? I'm a huge believer in the whole cultural component. That's yeah. what we do. That's why we exist in that way, like my organization in that way. It's also this conference right here. We were just talking about like online meetings and in-person meetings. What I find over the last years, we increased our programs and we closed new partnerships. And I would say definitely with new partners, I, I really prefer to have the personal yeah. component. Uh, the balance as we yeah. said earlier. Yeah. Uh, when you already have an established partnership, I, I can definitely see how Zoom meetings are fine as well. Yeah. Even though it's still nice to like catch up with everyone and like have that have that sure. uh, that moment. Yeah. yeah, yeah. A last question for both of you. Now that we are coming to an end, let's hope so, of this uh, pandemic, or at least you know, borders are reopened, have reopened, many are reopening, students are traveling. There might be another pandemic. I don't want to jinx it, but do you feel you are now prepared? I think in general, whether it's a pandemic or another um, world global event, affecting yeah, global yeah, event, yeah, yeah. it will happen at a certain point in the future. And I think the more agile we've become mm -hmm. and the more online-based we've become, whether we use it 
or not. I mean, whether we use it as a general rule or whether we, we keep it only for emergency situations, that's a different thing. I think it's really, really good to have already that structure. Uh, to give another example, we were cyber attacked um, about a month ago oh. that disconnected us to everything. And we had to, in, in a couple of days, basically build up another com- alternative communication structure. Oh. And in Berlin, what saved us uh, versus some of our sister universities is that we had an online application system that was web-based. And that versus our CRM, which is um, sort of um, uh, VPN-based, let's yeah. say, that we couldn't access for a few weeks. The application platform was fully online, and we, we basically switched a bit our communication from Teams that we couldn't access to Slack, which is for me, you know, lesson, always have two communication platforms, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, GoToMeeting was affected, never but on one horse. Yeah. so never bet on, on one horse, have yeah. an alternative like a plan B communication, and cybersecurity, very important, make your system web-based so that you can access no matter what, and, and these are really um, things to, to keep, and that will help us, confident that that would help us in the future. That's very impressive. So you had a cyber attack during the pandemic. These two things are not related. This, this, so you no, had but it was just a ransom-driven yeah, yeah. hacker attack um, that affected our um, So you're ex- extra ready then for any future setback. To be honest, I was really impressed of the team, yeah. how quickly they, they just jumped on board the new um, sort of the alternative communication. We yeah, really set yeah. up internal communication via Slack. Yeah. We created very quick alternative email address on a different like sriberlin.de instead of sri.de. Yeah. Um, and then in two days we were, I want to say fully operational, yeah. but operational enough to be able to, to keep going. Yeah. And I'm not sure if before the pandemic we would have been that quick. Right, you were already you in know? the mindset of The mindset, of hey, we have to find solutions. Uh, we have to, to change. I think that really this sort of problems uh, that we have to solve they prepare us to be more agile in the yeah. future and even if maybe we're not going to be ready we have the mindset that makes us more agile and i yeah. think that's a really good what a story great andris how's that for you you said that you know virtual internship probably not part of your ongoing product portfolio but what if well the, the thing is it's based also on the experience that i've had right if i look at the at the work floor like uh, my, my company and with a lot of other companies as well, if you have your team that has been working there for many years already, if they start to work from home, they know the team, they know the processes, they know everything. Or even if you j- switch jobs and you have been working for a couple of years, you're used to that type of stuff. When it comes to an internship, as well as starting your first job, there's obviously you need to learn processes in the company, but you also have to feel the company, the atmosphere, your team, everything around. I'm just looking at feedback that I've been receiving from people in our programs that did a virtual internship, as well as even people who started the job virtually, and they were like, I feel lost, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm working from this small room in Amsterdam, (laughs) or wherever they're located, and I just want to know what kind of company I want to identify yeah. with the company. I actually started at SRH uh, from home office really? in the first, because I started in April yeah. um, and I had to start via home office in the yeah. first two months. Yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, it's it's really complex when you have to manage a team yeah. that you haven't met in person. And in your case, and, yeah, I mean, this was not your first job. No. Like young professionals yeah. who start their first job, no. I feel really bad for them, even yeah. if you're in the same city, but just to... You need to, to taste that vibe of the culture of the yes. company. Yes. And, yes. Really and, and everyone would like build teams, like that they know each other. Yeah. It really takes experience to yeah. be able to function yeah. with online communication only. Like yeah. It works with people whose experience who are motivated and know what they're doing, yeah. but new staff, etc., to onboard them, to keep them motivated, to keep them informed. It's really difficult. To feel as a as a manager to see how someone is doing. If you're yeah. over Zoom with someone, like you're not gonna have Zoom on like nine hours per day, right? You're not gonna be looking at someone. But if you see somebody 
on Zoom for your for your meeting, yeah. and after that meeting, they're like. Oh, this all emphasizes the importance of hybrid, because hybrid is that combination, the combination of being flexible Very to true. study and work from abroad or from home, and then combined with the ability or need or requirements to also do some part of the study or internships or your work from home. And of course, ISAF Berlin is a hybrid event. How many yeah. more meetings do you have uh, scheduled, Andries? I still have pack day tomorrow. Pack day, yeah, yeah, and yeah, some of them online, some of them here. Yeah, it's I mean, a combination. Online, yeah. and, and that I do really enjoy, actually. Combination, you mean? The combination, yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Even though with some meetings that I'm having online, yeah. uh, we're already talking about, like, okay, make sure that you're here next year so we can meet each other in person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we like that. We like this. <laughs> How's that for you, Anna? Um, Many meetings I, to go yeah, still, so a mix of both. Optimized. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, well, I booked in-person schedule and also a virtual schedule. Separate? Separate. Yeah. Like, I'm here with a colleagues, and we're both here on spot, and we have virtual meetings, meetings um, in parallel, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And to be honest, a few days ago, I was like, oh, what the heck? Why did I, you know, why did I book the virtual one on top? Yeah. The main one would have been just enough. But actually, yeah. now I'm really happy because it allowed me having the virtual double schedule to transfer immediately if a meeting was going from in-person for whatever reason, they people couldn't make it or whatever yeah. into virtual. I could transfer them to my colleagues so that I could keep my schedule oh, clean yeah, yeah, yeah. in person. So you, you divided so, your schedules yeah. between someone who's in person does the in person meetings exactly. and you have your team back in Berlin. I guess three people who are doing yeah three people who are doing virtual yeah. meetings yeah. and that actually worked very well yeah. to have one schedule fully in person yeah. and one schedule fully virtually virtual for only people who are not in person here. Yeah. And that I really I mean it's in the end it turned out to be a very efficient tool. And I I mean I, I've seen other people who are like say oh I have a mix of and I was like I don't but you have to manage that <laughs> <laughs> well great well thank you both very much I'm happy that the podcast at least was an in-person <laughs> conversation with both of very you I really appreciate your time pleasant. between all your meetings uh, have a good dinner tonight thank and, uh, thank and thank you same to you thank, thank you. you this brings us to the third and final section from our ICEF Berlin podcast recording this time with members of the ICEF team giving a little behind-the-scenes impression on their experience and learnings from the very first hybrid ICEF Berlin 2021. For the third and final section of this special episode of the ICEF podcast, I thought it would be nice to collect some feedback from three of my colleagues who have been very busy here at ICEF Berlin looking after the on-site and online participants. For many years, ISAF has been the main marketplace for the international student recruitment industry, and just like the industry has changed due to the pandemic, so has that marketplace, so has ISAF. Just like the industry has gone online during the pandemic, so did ISAF with virtual events, and just like the industry is coming out of the pandemic with new delivery formats and hybrid models, so does ISAF with ISAF Berlin as our very first hybrid event ever. In person, virtual, hybrid, Let's talk with the people behind the scenes about the evolution of ISAF as a marketplace for the student recruitment industry. And with me are Tiffany Egler, Director of Agent Relationships. Good afternoon. Nick Stevenson, Director EMEA. Hello, Martijn. Hi, Nick. And Hersha Pandya, Director of Higher Education Partnerships. Good afternoon, Martijn. Well, let's start with a brief round of introductions. Tiffany, can you please introduce yourself? With pleasure. My name is Tiffany Egler. I am the Director of Agent Relations at ISAF. I've been with the company over 20 years and uh, it's been an adventure from uh, the very beginning, uh, learning all of the steps uh, to the position that I hold now and having the opportunity to have met so many lovely people and clients throughout uh, these years. Wonderful. Well, 20 years, I'm sure you have quite a few anecdotes. We might get to that in a second. Nick, how about you? Uh, yes, uh, my name is Nick. I represent ISAF in the Europe, Middle East and Africa region. 
Mainly I look after educators and service providers. For the last seven years I've been at ISEF, so it has been quite an interesting time. It would be nicer had there not been a global pandemic, but I think we're all emerging somewhat stronger uh, and leaner and a little bit keener. I guess we can all agree on that, and there's always that silver lining indeed. Hersha. Hello, I'm Hersha, Hersha Pandya, and I'm the Director for Higher Education Partnerships at ISEF. I'm a newbie to the internal team at ISEF, but my journey with ISEF started about 15 years ago as an educator. And I've actually attended events as an educator, as an agent, and as a service provider. So for me, this time round, I'm actually seeing things and how they're done ever so professionally on the internal side. And it's really, really good to be part of a wonderful team. Wonderful. Well, good to have you on board, Harsha. Thank you. Tiffany, many argue that hybrid is the perfect model for an event. Online and on-site participation both have their advantages and disadvantages and the fact that delegates can simply choose to attend in person or virtually, I would assume that means everybody's happy. Is that indeed the feedback that you have been getting thus far? So far so good. Um, the only challenges that we've actually really had uh, are the limitations for travel into the EU. So this is not anything that we can control. I'm sure we would have had more guests uh, attending our first ever hybrid event, but due to the regulations uh, and entry into the EU, several weren't able to join us here physically, but um, they were definitely online, highly motivated, and uh, enjoying every minute and picture and broadcast that we've been sending out to them from here in Berlin on site. And do you have agencies that were really able to join us here in Berlin, but that chose to actually enjoy the event online? Yes, yes, we've also had agencies um, who were able to travel but did make the decision to stay at home, whether it was because of family, business, there are still a lot of COVID concerns and it is a real issue that we're still facing. However, it's up to uh, each individual to make that decision and having the hybrid event where they can actually take part remotely has been indeed a definite advantage for those who weren't able to travel yet. So how has this affected your role, Tiffany? Are you happy that we have now these delegates that can join online and inside? Has that made your job more interesting because there's more ways that you can actually help your, your, the agencies? It uh, has certainly kept us on our toes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> With the on-site events, of course, we had our established routine. I've been doing this for 20 years and one gets into a flow about how to manage your time and opportunities. With the virtual events, it's 24-7. It's non-stop. We um, have had uh, a lot of experience in the last year and visited every continent and have had to deal with challenges that we've never experienced before uh, in the virtual world. But uh, it has certainly been an adventure um, and for all of us, I think, an opportunity to expand our thinking, grow outside the box and um, experience uh, some fun uh, online and be able to support our clients in a, in a new realm of support uh, for them. Well, that sounds very positive. Nick, how's that for you? I know you're a big fan of the word hybrid. Mm, big fan. <laughs> big fan and advocate. Um, yeah, for me, it just means kind of more opportunities for all. So I think we found this given new educators a chance to kind of try for a lower price point. It gives people a chance who maybe aren't able or willing to travel a chance to, to try the event. Uh, and also, travel isn't as easy as it once was. There is COVID still lurking. and It's not an ideal virus to... Uh, to come into contact with, so it just gives everyone an opportunity to kind of attend to the event in, in a way they feel comfortable. How have your clients responded to the hybrid format? Very well, <laughs> in most part. 
it's been a little bit of a challenge to uh, kind of go from the cut and thrust of an on-site uh, meeting and then quickly switching to Zoom and somebody's uh, connecting from say Kazakhstan or Russia. So it's, yeah, it can be a bit challenging changing your energy levels uh, to adjust to an on-site and uh, remote meeting. Great. I mean, you see around the world that everyone was expecting a new normal, that the world was changing, but people are traveling again, it's getting busier again, and, and, and the trains and on the streets, and people are going back to attending events in person. Do you think the hybrid event will stay? Yeah, I think it's something we're going to look at as we move away from the pandemic. I think it's going to be a feature for our larger events, uh, especially while travel res restrictions are in place. But also for um, newer markets, uh, markets that are difficult to get to, I think it, it does make sense we'll continue to offer it uh, in those markets because it just it gives, gives you that opportunity to access without putting your life on hold to yeah. travel to the other side of the world uh, to meet agents. So yeah, I think it kind of just opens the opportunities up for everybody. Right. More opportunities and more options for more players in the industry to join the marketplace that we provide. Hersha, you have an impressive history of uh, attending ISAF in many different types and formats. Now the event has a different format. How does it work for you? Well, I think, yes, absolutely. So I really, I've always been a big fan of ISAF, actually, so much so that I joined the company. Live events, they're, they're hybrid are excellent, and there are always going to be opportunities for people to join a hybrid event because they just can't come. And we've heard that from Nick, who said, you know, it's good for those hard-to-reach markets, etc. But for me, something about a live event is just very, very good from a business point of view. And a lot of the... Um, institutions I've spoken to in the last few days have all said that there's, they're buzzing by being in this environment because you can't bottle that atmosphere, mm -hmm. the, the work that you do when you meet people, not just on the one-to-one -one meeting, but maybe over a coffee, maybe over some lunch or dinner. Um, the opportunities of networking just continue throughout the day yeah. and sometimes into the night. And those things, those creative juices flow from one meeting to another. You have a conversation with someone here and the next minute you're in another room and you have that other conversation. And sometimes those decisions that just take months and months to, to make, you can't do that here when you're at a sort of a live event or you've met somebody. In two minutes you've got something signed off that could have otherwise taken ages. More relationship building Absolutely. going on. Absolutely, right? and those because relationship that is our yeah. industry, isn't it? The whole well, point of is. our industry is relationship. How I, would, I would argue, and I'd like to see your views on that, that one of the big topics, or the big topic, is of course the pandemic. Something else that's happening is at the moment, I believe, in Glasgow, right? Where people are coming mm -hmm. together for discussions about mm -hmm. uh, climate change and the environment. And as we are here all advocating the fact that we should come together and, and have a drink and have that meeting and meet face to face, shouldn't we actually be reducing the number of in-person events to a minimum so that people don't travel that much? I mean, I think probably the interesting thing would be to kind of moderate our use. So maybe we won't be quite as uh, reckless in chasing down our frequent flyer status uh, as we once were. Yeah. Um, oh, how is your frequent flyer status? Uh, it's pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I'm yeah. by no means an apologist for the airline industry, but I did read yesterday that only 3% of global emissions are due to flights. I read from Twitter, unfortunately. Okay. So <laughs> fact check that yeah. one before yeah. we uh, publish. Um, but yeah, it's, not, it's a very easy one to criticise, but uh, it, for many schools and many educators, it's an essential way of doing business. It's in so many things that the online experience can't quite replicate. 
yeah. uh, that networked effect, the the word of mouth, the introduction, uh, the introductions that yeah. you can make yeah. uh, between clients, and the the sharing of knowledge between educators and across agents as well. I think there's um, a balance to be had and I think that there'll be something for everybody going forward. So for those who just prefer the online side of things, it would be great. And I think maybe looking forward, yes, we're all going to have to be very responsible about how we travel and global citizens, etc. But I think we can find a balance and I think that balance would be maybe do one or two live events and the rest not. And I think everyone will just find their place. This is the first one, I believe this is the first one where everyone's come back in the industry and that buzz is still going really strong. So maybe as things settle or people go forward, they might think, well, yes, it worked and and now I'm going to have a more moderate approach. Yeah, I would also argue that actually in some ways our events do cut down emissions because of the the amount of trips that they also save, the amount of uh, agents and therefore markets you can visit in one place. Uh, rather than travelling. So it does save you many extra trips on top of that and it does save you time. That is a, indeed a very good point. I was indeed getting to that. So uh, thanks, thanks Nick, for that because it's indeed very true that what we are doing as ISAF, I think it's great that we're bringing people together in person. I hope I didn't get the impression here that I'm trying to limit that on the contrary because indeed we're allowing all these people to come together in one place rather than having them all fly to all the corners mm-hmm. of the world. So yeah, we, we, we bring all these people together in one place. I think we should definitely continue to do that. I would agree entirely. Yeah. Um, I think everybody in this industry has had to reorganize, restructure and rethink what their goals and purposes are. Um, we've all experienced challenges uh, on different levels and um, we've all survived. And, and that's just something that um, we have to move forward with, uh, learning, growing, experiencing. We've learned a lot ourselves uh, through this first hybrid event. And uh, I think the only way that we can move forward, um, embrace our lives again, uh, is to continue um, doing what we're doing uh, and making sure that we're embracing a positive energy that we're definitely experiencing here at the moment, on site and definitely behind the scenes virtually. No, fantastic. And I think we can only celebrate actually all the work of, of the ISAF team, if I can do that here on the podcast, uh, for responding so rapidly and so effectively to the unexpected major challenges that we're all faced with. It's been very well delivered. The feedback so far has been really, really good. And it's a pleasure uh, working with you and making this all happen. It's really great to see all these happy faces uh, at ISAF Berlin. It's great to have people able to join us online. And for our audience, we'll continue to deliver you the marketplace for the international student recruitment industry. And indeed, as Martijn says, ISAF will of course continue to provide international student recruitment professionals with first-class networking events in various formats. Our next event, for example, will be ISAF Virtual Miami in December, which focuses on the US and Canada as study destinations. We will kick off 2022 with an online event for secondary education in February, followed by a long-awaited reunion of the Australian and New Zealand international education sector in March. Other events on the calendar next year are ISEF Eurasia and ISEF Central Asia, and of course ISEF Toronto in May, which will be a hybrid meeting you can join us in person or online. New in-person events on the calendar are ISEF Spanish Education in Seville in April and ISEF French Education in Montreal in May. For information about our upcoming events, please mail us at podcast at ISEF.com or visit the ISEF.com forward slash events page. Thank you for listening and a special thank you for all of you who joined us here online or in person at ISEF Berlin 2021. See you next year.